Welcome to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, hosted by me, Coach Ben Rosario, featuring the Hoka NAZ Elite athletes, and from time to time, a special guest from the world of running. We talk training and racing, but we also just talk, and we go way deeper than just running. The Midday Treat is your chance to get to know us as people, so follow along and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, check out this episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, and it is a special edition. Uh, As promised, we aren't only going to talk to NAZ athletes, though we have a lot of fun doing so. We're also going to pull in guests from the running world at large. And today's guest is really interesting because we're we're going to be able to talk about his career in the industry which I find fascinating but also about some of the events that he's putting on coming up and, and sort of the grander vision that he has for for the sport he's a he's a visionary so uh we're talking to Jesse Williams from Sound Running Jesse how are you doing well man no no complaints Good, good. Yeah, you were. We were maybe going to be doing this in person, but your trip to Flagstaff kind of uh, didn't materialize, and so we're doing it over the uh, Zoom. Yeah, I ended up driving right through, but um, <laughs> for good reasons. You know, we're doing a lot of preparations for our upcoming race, so uh, a lot to be done in the next two months. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about Cross Champs, which is the next big event on the Sound Running calendar. Uh, but I thought it would be neat for us to dig into your your background and your career in the industry um i i kind of know it but maybe a lot of people just know you as this guy that puts on these meets in california but you've been in the industry for a long time so take me back all the way let's see texas tech ran at texas tech graduated what was the next step uh i honestly so i graduated i taught for one year and then i went back to grad school and then uh, realized I wanted to be in the running world one way or another. And I thought I was going to maybe coach and that didn't I applied for a handful of jobs. It really didn't come to fruition, which is great because knowing myself better now, uh, I don't think I've been that great of a coach. I think I'm much more suited for what I do now. And so I got a job at Brooks running started out uh, as a guru, which is like field rep. It's kind of, one of the starter roles in most brands Um, Mm -hmm. you're out there, you know, working with the local run stores, going to the local races. Um, You're in the community. Yes. Yes. That was your first gig. And then you fairly quickly moved up from there. Yeah. I was lucky timing wise. Um, When I got the job, like within weeks of me getting the job, uh, Brooks signed the Hanson's team. And at the time Hanson's had made, you know, they had been this um, Midwest blue collar, like, and we're going on and taking on the farm team at the time and all these other teams and, and showing up to races and just really, um, you know, outperforming and showing that the group at training was working. And, I, you know, I was lucky that Brooks signed on right before I got there. And then within a couple of months, they, they realized, well, we need somebody to manage sports marketing. They hadn't really had traditional sports marketing at that point. Um, and we had a, a new CFR, CMO come in, Dave, uh, Dave Larson, who was from Nike, which Nike sports marketing. He, he knows right away we need somebody in sports marketing. Um, so I got lucky. I was right place, right time. I had talked to Keith and Kevin and knew, so I think I got a little bit of a nod from the Hansons themselves, which really helped. And Because, I mean, you were how old at that point? I was... 24 23. so young to have that position yeah and and it was lucky because i would say that i thought i knew what i was doing um but i i really didn't like i knew luckily like it was so new and there was so little to do at the beginning that i could learn as i went and so i was doing like half um events and event marketing so i was going to all the big city marathons and just being behind the scenes, putting the booth up and doing the retail piece and and all that. But then we also had the sports marketing piece. Luckily those two things work together because, you know, the Hansons would show up big at, uh, you know, Chicago or Boston 
and uh, we were able to connect those things. But yeah, I was very lucky that uh, I got to kind of tiptoe into sports marketing and I kind of grew in my job as Brooks grew. Yep. So as we got bigger, I got to take bigger swings and, and kind of uh, try to create some things. And, and, you know, it's, it's lucky. I would say if I walked right into a really established sports marketing department that had all these, and maybe that would have been good for me to learn that right out of the gate and to have like some high level mentor or something. Um, I did have that, but it was my mentor mentor a dozen different people. And so it was really hard. So I kind of had to just put my head down and figure it out. Yeah, because within a few years, you were the one negotiating big contracts and Des Linden and, and, and um, you know, you were the one, correct me if I'm wrong, that sort of took the bull by the horns and created the beasts and created the Brooks PR invite. I mean, these are big deals and you're still a pretty young guy at that point. So did it ever feel overwhelming? No, I, I would say um, for us it felt, I always loved, and this is a bit of my thing now too, that I'm, you know, you learn more about yourself all the time, but I am most excited when I'm doing something new. Yep. Um, I think you know that, you, that you're somebody that, you know, follows that same drummer, but uh, I, when we're creating the Brooks PR Invitational, that like six months leading into that, yeah, that whole year was like so exciting and yeah. starting the beast and hiring a coach and watching that come together um, it was almost like bringing that together and having it work was like check. And it was like, what's next. I wasn't as good at like, now let's fine tune this and let's integrate it and do all these other things. Like, I think I could have maybe done that. And I, and I tried to do that, but I was never um, as good at that as I was at the new fun, new thing. And so um, I was lucky that Brooks let us take a couple swings. I mean, the Brooks beast was honestly, we had this Hanson's program that we loved and the only thing that we could have done better with that was I wish we had access to it every single day. Mm -hmm. I wish mm -hmm. we could bring those athletes in after a run and talk to them about the shoes they were just wearing or the new shirt we just gave them. And I wish we could use them for a photo shoot anytime we wanted, or we can go out to a practice and, you know, whatever. And so the idea was, okay, what if we had that same thing, but maybe track focus and here, so the beast, right? Mm -hmm. And the PR Invitational was simply at the time, and I think it's still this way, uh, University of Washington has this indoor track that was like, if you didn't go there to run your indoor times, you just weren't going to nationals. That was yep. like the thing. Yep. So I thought, well, we have the fastest track in the US right here. Why don't we do this indoor fast times meet? And so the Brooks PR invite in its first, I think, first three years was indoors. Mm -hmm. Then we hated the fact that like none of the records counted and and nobody was as fit as they are in June. You mm -hmm. know, so everybody run really good considering, you know, in, in February. So we did, I guess, uh, fine tune things a little bit. But um, even right when I was leaving, I, I was pitching like, Brooks needs to do a pro meet and we need to, you know, I was always, uh, I liked the creation part of it. So I would say that was the best part of that. And I got very lucky that they let me do that and that I was there during a time when we were building. Yep. Yep. Not everybody's building. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenal time. I, I was at Hanson's when you first came on and, and when Brooks first came on. Um, and it was really exciting. And it's almost crazy to think about where they were then and where they are now. And of course, I'm fortunate enough to be with a brand Hoka the same way. Like it's crazy to think about where they were in 2010 and where they are now in, in 2022. Um, in the years you spent at Brooks, which would have been what year to what year? Uh, I was there 2003 to 2017. What's what are you most proud of? Ooh, um, I would say the the there were a couple moments that really stick out of like wow that happened. Like I would say um, outside of me, but proud moment as like a fan or part of Brooks or whatever it was when Brian Sell made the team. 
Yep. Um, yep. You know Brian. Mm-hmm. Anybody that knew Brian, anybody that knew Keith and Kevin, anybody that knew that program, to have that kind of stamp of like it worked. We have an yep. Olympian. We turned this um, twenty-eight forty guy into a two-ten metronome, and he made the team. And I remember that being like this emotional, like crazy moment. And and not only knowing what he felt and how much pressure he put on himself, so that being kind of like a sigh of relief that he made the team. Yeah. And, but then knowing how much Keith and Kevin had put in. Yeah. And, yeah. And then just on the Brooks side being like, it was our first yeah. Olympian in like 30 years since Brooks was a different company, right? Yep. Um, that was probably outside of like, you know, not really something I did, but something that was like triggering, like in a special way. Yeah. Um, we created uh, this inspiring coaches program. Yeah. And I was at Brooks and it was, you know, every year and I'm sure every brand gets this. We got all these stories of these coaches who were um, like spending their own money on the team. Yeah. Um, they bought team uniforms out of their own pocket. Uh, we had stories of like a kid's, parents passed away and the coach took the kid in and adopted the kid and like raised him and paid for his call like crazy crazy stuff you know Mm -hmm. Uh, coaches that built teams from five people to 300 Mm -hmm. um, changed kids lives and we always thought there's like really nothing being done for these people you know and they just give 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 yeah yeah, like what what and that's great but like who's who's cheering for them who's putting them on a pedestal and and, and t- telling their story. And so we created this inspiring coaches program and we had people submit, it still happens. They still do it every year. They, we have people submit applications from all over the country and we get hundreds. And then we would take all these applications and we would divide them up between departments or groups at Brooks. And we'd narrow it down to like maybe 30 of the top yeah. ones. Cause some people really, they're like, my coach is the greatest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got me to run fast or she got me to do this. And you're like, okay, but there was always like 30 or 40 that came through. And then we would have a panel of maybe like 20 people and we would sit inside this room for all day yeah. and we'd pick like five finalists. Yeah. And these five finalists would get flown out during the PR meet weekend. And we would like tell their stories and then we'd pick a winner. Now all five would get like free gear for their team like X amount of money for their budget. Yep. And then the winner would get, you know, whatever. Those weekends, when we had those inspiring coaches weekends and Steve DeCoker, who's now at On Running, who I worked with, um, that was his baby, you know, when he was there and, and he would lead that charge and it would get emotional. You'd see those coaches and their mm-hmm. families and the kids they affected. We would do videos with like the kids who submitted the, and, mm-hmm. and I remember that being like, pretty proud because you're like well we're actually affecting people's lives yeah in a little way we're we're affecting the people's lives who have affected a ton of people's lives yeah and so that felt a little bigger than just um running yeah you know so uh otherwise you know it just all narrows down to like seeing people make teams people you sign work out like Mm -hmm. i think you know when we signed nick simmons it was kind of a a big moment because we thought, mm-hmm. wow, if we can attract Nick Simmons, we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. This was an outspoken guy in our industry who spoke out against USATF, did his own thing, talked, uh, you know, was on Anderson Cooper and was everywhere and really knew he was well honed in what he was doing. And for him to choose Brooks at that point in his career, coming off a silver medal at Worlds, um, I felt like, oh, we, we're doing something pretty good if we can attract this guy. Yeah. You know, if he yeah. thinks these guys got it, they're figuring it out. That was probably, that was a big moment In, yeah. internally because people geeked out. Like, you know, you sign athletes and I'm sure this is how it is at Hoka. Like you're geeked out. Mike McManus is geeked out. Like everybody, you know, they're all excited. Um, internally, how many people know who that person is mm-hmm. until you tell their story mm-hmm. with Nick our whole company was like, we got who? That's the, <laughs> they're like, that's the one person we know. Yeah. And we got him. Totally. And so that was one of the few times outside of like Desi having her moments um, that it really transcended, you know, the the normal people that get excited. 
Yes, I you totally know. get the little the the, the bubble. Transcended yeah, like, the bubble. Yeah, there's very few running moments that transcend that running bubble, and like signing Nick Desi winning Boston, which I I wasn't there when Desi actually won. I was there when she got second and ran all the way to the line. That's right, 2011. Yeah, yeah, I was I was actually in a restaurant down the street, and we were like, should we go to the finish? And we tried to go, and then we realized we weren't going to get to see it, and so we ran back in so we could watch it on the screen. And like, yeah. that was a pretty epic moment. And so the fact that like I thought that might be it, because yeah. you know, world marathon majors, Boston. Yeah, like, yeah. how many chances you're going to get? So I wasn't at Brooks when she won. It was like a year later, almost mm-hmm. exactly. But that was like pretty special, you know. To yeah. see that. Um, for her, for the Hanson's program for American distance running for Brooks. Yeah. Those are probably all the big moments I can think of that I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but those are, that's just pops out. That's cool. So you leave in 17 and um, I I remember talking to you a little bit about this, but uh, what, what was the, uh, what was the main reason? Just, just time to move on time to do something different. Yeah. I think it goes back a little bit to, um, you know, I was most uh, involved and excited when I was creating something new or doing something new. And I always thought I would do something outside of Brooks, but I think the company culture and the people and being around runners all the time, like you're kind of like, let's pretty good. Am I, am I crazy to think that I'm going to do something outside of this? And it was just the right moment where like my boss who'd been there for a while left. Um, there were a couple other things changing. And I thought if I don't go right now, I probably never will. Mm-hmm. And I, it was really hard to do. I remember when I, when I decided that I was leaving, I sent an email and I, I remember just being like, I felt sick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you can't go back here. Like that you sent an email. So you're on your own. But then like, Give, give it like a week and I was like really excited yeah and yeah. so but there was no real reason except for I never thought I would be like in a corporate structure I thought I'd be like at a university or you know doing something different and then I got really um the, the lights were bright and I got brought in and like Brooks was an awesome company I worked with like people I consider like some of my best friends even to this day um and I was there for a pretty cool ride where mm-hmm. things just seem to get better every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and they're still getting better for, you know, the running industry and these companies. But I think uh, in hindsight, it was like good move, but at the yeah. time it was very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what you did next. So as I remember, you took a little break, which I yeah. think was actually really smart. I, I, uh, I wish I could go back uh, when I left the stores that I owned in 2012 and, and take a little bit more of a break. Uh, but I think that was a smart thing to do. Uh, did that allow you to get your creative juices back? Why did you take the break? And when did you start sound running? Yeah, um, I took a break for all those reasons. I feel like I had heard so many times that people like, you're, you're an adult, you get two weeks of vacation a year in most circumstances. And most countries you get way more than that, but we're, <laughs> you know, we don't do that. And I thought, well, there's no reason I have to start tomorrow somewhere. Yep. And I don't even know really what I want to do. And I don't think I want to be in a corporation again. So I was like, I'm just going to take a break. And I was like, I'm going to give myself a year. And if I don't figure it out, then I'm just going to have to like enter the job market again and figure it out. But I, I was like, I trusted that I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I, I was a little worried that because I, I just didn't have it. Like I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't, I was looking, you know, at Twitter, uh, running Twitter and just looking at things like as a fan, but I wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. All the things that I've been really passionate about six months ago, I was like, why did I? why did I care about this? You know, why was I so into it? And so you're like, Oh, okay. That's where am I going to start? And honestly, sound running started as a, uh, we were going to build better training plans. Um, we looked at somebody signs up for a marathon or a 5k or 10k and, uh, 
then they search online afterwards, like training plan for 5k, 10k. And there's good stuff out there, but there's also a lot of just bad stuff. And we thought, and there's nothing specific. There's nothing like better, not that much better than like a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. We're like, there's so many things you can tell a, a runner about. And I thought about all the conversations I've had with friends, like hydration and changing your shoes out and pacing and things we all take for granted, but like somebody has to explain to them. Yep. And so we, we were going to do that. We we're going to build custom training plans for races build it like specific to the New York course if you run in New York or Boston or whatever into the weather. And uh, we started with that and it's slow moving, you know, like that's a business you build over a long time, unless you have like a big partner or something. And there was a gap in 2019 where there was about an extra month uh, because Doha was so late. That's right there was a gigantic gap in the calendar where there were no meets and mm-hmm. USA's was like late July. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, well, I can put on a meet, you know, cause you had moved to SoCal. I was in Southern California and uh, I just thought like, yeah, a lot of the fast races are down here. I bet you. So I, I actually texted coaches and agents that I knew and I just said, Hey, if we do this, would you, would you be in? And everybody was like, yes, we need a race, please. And we put, we put it on and at, at, during the process, I was like, first of all, I had fun. Second of all, I saw like, okay, there's a need for this. Um, Cause it shouldn't be this easy to get everybody to show up. Mm-hmm. There's a need for it. And then I think there's a business there potentially the business part was number three, but like the, <laughs> the like there's a need for it. And I like this where the first second. So after that, like, okay, what if we did this in a bigger way next year? What if we filled all the gaps in the schedule? that we think are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that everybody was primarily going to college meets, mm-hmm. which is very hard to follow. If you're, uh, if you're trying to follow the sport, you're like, wait, all the pros are running this college meet. Mm-hmm. What's that? You know, and they're just a couple of races and then others oh, pre and then there's USA's like, and everybody goes to Europe. And so it's very confusing for people. And so we thought, well, we need like professional pink Jordan. Mm-hmm. We need professional like night of the 10 Ks mm-hmm. uh, that they do over in the UK that's so successful. And, um, and then now here we are, um, you know, we're looking at professional team cross country. Uh, you know, that was 2019. That was the grand scheme. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And then it was completely back to square one, which is, okay, all the plans you had, uh, those are gone. Um, can you pull off a meet period? Mm-hmm. Can you do a safe meet under USATF guidelines and still fulfill, fulfill the athlete's needs? Mm-hmm. Um, we did some boutique events. You know, we did the sunset tour that you guys came to um, mm-hmm. that August. Yep. And then that December kind of fulfilling the need, the fact there was no road races, there was no track, there was no cross country that year. There was nothing. So we did the the first kind of the addition of the five and 10 K meet, which we called the track meet. Mm-hmm. And we realized, okay, like we're doing this and it's great. These are like COVID meets. Yeah. So I would say this year, 2022 was really our first was what 2020 was supposed to be. Yeah. So we feel like 2022 was our first year. Yeah. Um, so it feels weird because we've been doing meets for a couple of years now, but I always say that all the things we learned this year, we should have learned in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. You know? um, and I wish we had now a lot of things came out of the COVID thing. You know, we were toying around with doing our own stream and started working with the Tracklandia crew and um, came up with this pay-per-view model that I think has some serious legs as far as, you know, putting money in the athletes pockets and, and also just helping make the meet successful. Uh, there were some things that came out of COVID that I'm like, glad we did that. We learned and we had some connections, you know, where we ran the 10 meet um, where Grant Fisher broke the American record and Lisa Cranny uh, ran the second fast time ever. We probably would have never even known about that facility if the pandemic hadn't happened. Yeah. And so, and it's such a great facility for the type of it event is. we're doing. 
And so there were some, there were a lot of really good things that came out of the pandemic, but I do feel like 2022 was our, was our inaugural year or inaugural season. Well, I would also argue that, or I would also say that the perhaps the biggest thing about the pandemic for you guys was exactly what you just talked about with the college meets. It showed that it showed everybody kind of woke everybody up. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing these college meets? Let's just host these. Let's go to Jesse's pro meets. It's way better. Uh, It's way better for the sport. It's a way better environment. And we shouldn't be relying on these colleges to, to host these meets for us. Uh, We should be doing it ourselves. And it kind of just very quickly changed behaviors. And so you already see with earlier this year, it was a complete change on the outdoor circuit, a complete change, uh, which was nice. Yeah. We were very lucky. I mean, I was a little worried. We didn't want to go the same weekend as Peyton Jordan because people are, you know, creatures of habit and they go there every year for a reason. And, but I think even Peyton Jordan, they can be what they are now, which is we are facilitating the needs of NCAA athletes. That's right. And we're not getting calls from agents about pacers and, and we're not trying to pace this race for a pace that like our athletes want nothing to do with. You know, like we, we can put on a college meet and serve exactly what we're serving. And I think that meet was a much better college meet because yep. the pros were taken out of it. And then we can be very specific. Now we can serve the very top end in sub-A athletes. You know, you see Oscar men and broke the collegiate record. Um, so I think we give, uh, we it, it helps both sides by having mm-hmm. the professional and it helps divide it for the fans. So yeah. the fans can understand it. I mean, pick, picture any other sport where it's like, oh, yeah, the pros are running, you know, they're playing in this uh, NCAA game. Like yes, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. makes no sense. And so I think it, it's good to separate it for the sport as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm in total agreement. Okay. So, gosh, there's so many things to get to. Let's Let's do this first because I don't want to have to rush this part of it. And we'll get back to the to the track meets. Let's talk about cross champs. So that's coming up. It's December 1st, Austin, Texas. It's a team cross country event, um, attracting the top clubs in the country. Go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would say the idea was watching 2021 uh, cross country champs at OSU when, uh, when it was in March. And mm-hmm. I think like it kind of went viral with that, the beginning the front, the first hundred meters where it was like yeah. this little shot. Uh, watching that and going, this is like the coolest thing in our sport. And it ends on this day for people. Now you can go to us cross country championships and you can go as an individual, you can whatever, and you can make the U S team and you can run as a team at worlds every other year. Um, but that does, it's not the same as like, Hey, we sweat with these people every day. This is a team thing. Well, now we're in a situation in the U S where we have, a dozen pro teams or more, you know, and, and why can't we do that again? You know what? Cross country, such a cool, it was the Brooks PR meet all over again. You saw a need. Yeah. Yeah, You saw, and and also selfishly, I want to watch that meet. Yeah. You give me all the pro teams on cross country course at the same time. Like I want to watch that meet. Mm -hmm. It sounds fun. And I'm a fan of the sport. And I'm like, well, if I think that would be really cool, I can't be that far off, you know, cause I enjoy watching diamond leagues or USA's or worlds. Like I take in the rest. And so we wanted to do that. And that's in itself, you know, its own thing. That's a little hard because in track people need times and they, mm-hmm. they need races in cross country. They can just decide not to come. It doesn't change anything for them. There's that's no right. next race. Right. That's and right. so there's no qualifier. Um, so that's one piece. The reason we picked Austin and December is a lot of people ironically don't know about it, but the running event Austin is the single biggest uh, domestic uh, running event each year. Um, it's, a, it's a conference for the running industry. So you have just explaining it to the listener, yeah. you have running store owners, 
running store employees, top employees. You have all the brands represented. And I'm not talking about just the shoe brands. I'm talking about I'm talking about everything from socks to um, you know night night lights to um, uh, to any anything you possibly think of that you could buy in a running store. That that brand and their corporate execs are there at the running events. So there's a lot of people with a lot of money uh, and a lot invested in the running world uh, that week in Austin. Yeah, every brand that's in running or wants to get into running will be there. That's right, and every dollar endemically at least that is is controlled in our in our uh our sport is in that in that expo that's and, right and so we thought well there's all these brand backed teams you know like hoka and az elite like when do the execs at these companies watch these teams compete outside of the olympic trials or the olympics or whatever but like especially as a team mm-hmm. and see the whole environment so there's the fan base part of it, but then there's also the like, could we even generate more interest from these other brands that aren't spending money in the sport? They might be spending money at the expo to, to you know, exhibit their product. Um, they might spend money at retail, but are they spending money in the sport? Well, maybe they haven't seen what the sport looks like. And so we, we just felt like it really you know, raised all tides to do it in Austin at this moment. And, and, you know, there's a lot of groups out there that aren't sponsored. There's a lot of athletes out there that aren't sponsored. Um, and there's a lot of groups that could use a hydration sponsor or a nutrition sponsor or a timing sponsor. And so I, I just felt like, Hey, we got to go all in here and really, and make this a yearly thing in Austin. Um, we know timing wise for most teams, you know, the way we phrased it is for most of you teams, this is base phase, and you're going to be strong, but you're not going to be sharp. And we're like, cool. You're going to do time trial anyway. Let's go do an 8K time trial in Austin. And we'll do it as a team and we'll make it fun. And uh, I think, you know, the cross-country system works pretty well. I mean, that meet is well-attended. It's well-watched. It's a big property on ESPN. Uh, you know, why can't uh, the professional side of that be the same thing? So that's kind of the idea behind cross champs. That's why Austin, that's why December. Um, and I truthfully think it could be something really big um, for the teams and athletes competing if it becomes a yearly thing. Well, and it, you said something earlier that I, I jotted down a note after you said it. You said that in track, they need you because they need your facility. They need your nice weather in SoCal to run the time. I get it. They don't need you for this event yet. But if the money can be there, if the prize money can be there, and if the if the prestige of the event can become such that this event is worked into bonus structures in these shoe contracts, then all of a sudden they will come every year, year in and year out, and you will have a tradition. Uh, what what the listener may not know is that one of the reasons you see so many athletes at certain events is because there's bonuses worked into their contracts so that if they finish in the top three in that event, they get X amount of dollars for that performance. And, and it's the most prestigious events that, that, that are on, that are in those contracts. And so we've got to make this event uh, prestigious, which it, which it of course can be. I, I agree with that. Um, tell me a little bit about how it's going, what, what the fields look like, what the courses look like, uh, or what the course looks like, if you could, uh, where are we at? Yeah, so uh, we just did a site visit last week. So good timing is, uh, you know, Austin's unique place in that where we're trying to do this. We want to be as close to downtown as possible, but um, citywide, they don't allow new events in city parks, period. Um, I always joke that, like, it doesn't matter who you are, not just because this is a cross-country meet, but it doesn't matter who you are. Like, you have to be grandfathered in. There's no new events. So it we had to look outside of just the city parks and we found a school um, on the west side of Austin, about 10 miles outside of town. And it is, we'll do, we're doing the event on their athletic campus, which it's a really nice school that has a beautiful athletic campus. And we're doing a mile loop that we're going to do five times. The idea is that it's going to be a good course for the athletes, but a really good course for fans. Yeah. So if you're watching from, the football field or the stands, you can see the entire loop. 
from there. I, I sat in the stands and I looked and I just kind of washed it out. And I was like, you can see the whole loop. That's cool. So that's, that'll be cool. Um, you know, it'll be broadcast as well, but it's going to be a mile loop. It's about 95% grass. There's a couple areas where you cross like a gravel road or you're on a trail for 50 meters or something. Um, and then you're actually on the track, probably the last like 7,500 meters mm-hmm. um, to finish. But yeah, it, and it's, I would say it's pretty flat. There, there, there's some hills. I mean, it's still on the athletic campus. So there's not like hill hills, but there's, you know, it's going to be rolling. Um, a little different than, you know, I, I like the traditional, like, give me the hardest course. It's cross country, you know, let's really. And I think this time of year, maybe that's something we can graduate up to when it, the meet gets a certain level. Um, we try to do something that wasn't going to scare too many people away. Uh, I think, you know, Mount Sac, we, we did kind of a trial run of this last year at Mount Sac and the, we did 10K instead of 8K. And we did it on maybe the hardest course in the U.S. And I think that scared people that were like in base phase, and they're like, Ugh. "I was worried about the big downhills, honestly." That that was yeah. that was. I just didn't want anybody to get hurt. No, and and you know, we went out. I watched the high school meet that happened. Like it's actually happening. I think next weekend here. Um, but it's you know, kids grow up here and they run it every single year. It's dusty. It's hot. It's you know, they do a good job of wetting it down and like, it's, it's cinder. It's not really like rocky the way you would think, but there's some sections where it's, it's just dirt and it's rock hard because it's been hot. Yep. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a non-forgiving course. I've gone out and run it a couple of times just to like feel it out. <laughs> when I see the times that athletes run in high school out there, I'm blown away. I mean, yeah. It is. So this is a much more athlete friendly, fall training friendly course. Yeah. Um, distance is 8K instead of 10K. So I think we can attract a couple more of those uh, 1500 steeple athletes who maybe were, don't love the 10K idea, but 8K is like, okay, we can bridge the gap. So we're looking pretty good though. Um, early team signups are really good i mean there's only a handful of teams that haven't committed and i i don't think it's because they won't i just think it's because you know they're just starting to meet up again like they're just playing the wait and see yeah 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 and i think like the gravity of like we get enough groups to show up um like i messaged with the new uh byu team Mm -hmm. um taylor made yesterday and i was like what do you guys think? It'd be great. And they're like, Oh, we love it. We're in. You know, so like, yeah. you know, seeing stuff like that, you're like, okay. So I, I feel like we're going to get all the teams people want to watch race. Um, and then some, because yeah. there's even some fringe teams that have signed up because they're like, Oh, I just want to be a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you need those, you need the, you need the critical mass. You need a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, I I, I want to see. I mean, part of what makes cross country cool is the whole like you know yeah. training, the mass start. Yeah, yeah, the mass start, and I think there's some fun obstacles that will make the course unique. There's like one area where we have to jump over this like barrier, just just enough to like not make it a pancake flat, yeah. you know, golf course type loop. Um, but yeah, it, it's I I'm my whole job between now and December first is to get as many teams and good individuals to show up as possible yeah um you know we're not we're going up against there's a handful of runners we're going to lose to cal international um Mm. there's how quickly people can bounce back from fall marathons because i know there's people that if they do chicago they could probably bounce back but if they're doing new york depends on the athlete you know um but we'll see i mean i like i said i think we're sitting in a really good spot based on the teams that said they're coming um, I think we have seven or eight on each side, you know, teams and we're going four deep. Uh, you know, the pro teams aren't as deep as the college and high school teams. So we're going four deep, uh, meaning count. that four score four will score. Yeah. Um, it's just a little tougher. And, and honestly, if we went, no, oh, it helps us. It really, it really made the decision easy for us because just, I mean, a lot of teams are, are in the same boat, but we really didn't have five. I mean, we have more than five people, but we didn't really have five that it made sense for, but it, it makes sense for, uh, we'll, we'll end up sending 
Wesley Kip to Adrian Wiltskut, um, Olin Hacker, and Alex Masai, which is a killer team, by the way. Yeah, but that's all we'll send is those four. Uh, but 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 um, you know we like our chances. Yeah, no, I, I I'm excited when I see the teams up front. I know Army has a team. I haven't gotten the individuals that are running for that. Um, OAC has a team. Uh, Hanson's a bringing team. Brooks Beast are bringing people. I don't know if they'll have a full team. Uh, they'll have at least three, but you know, we'll see about the fourth. Um, Mercurity trained also out of Arizona. Like they're, they're coming. Um, like I said, on the women's side, we've talked to, and most of those are men and women. I would say um, we've talked to, like I said, Taylor made. Um, I've had a couple, I mean, we really just had so many groups that were like, yeah, we're looking into it right now. Like, uh, you know, but they haven't like officially signed up. Mm -hmm. uh, I know like Empire Elite was, you know, talking about coming out. Um, Tin Man came last year, did really well. Um, yeah, a lot of, I mean, I'm Puma Elite. Uh, we've talked to Dark Sky. We talked to, you know, trying to get, I just, my, my goal is we want everybody there. I've messaged uh, with Bowerman about it. Um, I was going to say, there's a group up in Portland, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, they were going to come last Or Eugene now, excuse me. Excuse oh, yeah, me. Eugene, yeah. Um, It'll be interesting. Um, you know, um, Jerry, I think for a lot of reasons and specifically now with being an OU coach, um, usually waits and sees what everybody looks like. And then 10 days out, I'll get a call. Mm -hmm. So the way I look at that is if we get a one or two or all, um, it'll be a nice addition. But, you know, I think, um, the goal is to build build it up so much that you got people looking in it and going, oh, we got to be a part of that. We got to be there. Yeah, you're totally right. Two, two questions as I envision this thing before I head to some other um, challenging questions for you. Um, yeah. Are you going to be able to shuttle – TRE folks out to watch because I mean I'm I'm I've been to TRE and you know we don't usually you don't have a rental car or anything because you're just um you're just attending the conference and it's all right there downtown I, I feel like if you provided a shuttle people would come yeah so we're doing we we just had a call today about the shuttles we're doing shuttles for not only for athletes because we figure a lot of athletes will stay down in that area by Town Lake and mm -hmm. your hotel because that's one of the best running areas. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where anything and everything's happening for TRE. So if you're yes. making an appearance or going to one of the brand uh, activations, you're going to want to be down there. Um, so we are shuttling not only athletes out to the course, but TRE folks. Good. Good. Yeah. So the goal is, and, you know, we rented old school buses. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to give the full cross country experience. <laughs> yeah. You're on the school bus heading out to the cross country meet. But yeah, I mean, if we did it at TRE and we didn't get everybody to be a part of it, at least everybody that wants to be a part of it, mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a handful of people that take that hour and they're like, I'll watch it from my laptop and take a breath and you know, like a little rest. Cause it's a long week, but um, it is. I do think you're going to get a large percentage of, of those people who are, you know, these are people who their entire livelihoods built around running. And usually that means they're a big fan of the sport. And I would think they you know, usually they're dying for one of these athletes to be in their store for an appearance, let alone to go watch all of them Yeah, in a race, you know, yeah. not that many of them get to go to these types of things. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, specifically like make it easy for them and bust them over. And because them. let's be honest that that's, you're going to have, the spectators are going to have to come from TRE because it's a Thursday. So you're not going to be able to get kids, right? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of high schools in the area and we are going to, we are going to reach out to as many high schools as possible. But won't they have school? They will school will be out at three. So it kind of worked pretty easily for them. Cause so what time's the start? As of right now, we're at four twenty and four fifty PM. Oh, okay. We'll still have light, huh? Yeah. So we're doing it in the afternoon, four twenty, four fifty, And uh, yeah, we'll be right at like when the second race finishes, it'll be like dusk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. So you could get the kids to come out and watch. That would be great. Yeah. That's the goal is to get a lot of kids to watch out. And there's a bunch of run clubs in the area where we've been messaging with them and they're, they, they're like excited about it because in, in 
you know, I think sometimes in Southern California, specifically our issue of getting fans out is we're competing against, um, there's like 10 professional teams in the area. There's a million concerts. There's this beach over here. There's, you yeah. know, all this, and, and we get, they get spoiled. Yeah. In Austin, they have a lot of amazing things happen, but I don't think there's outside of Texas relays and the state meet. There's never like an event like this that hosts this many professional athletes in one spot. And so I think we're able to pull at these uh, coaches and these teams a little harder than in SoCal where they're like, I'll go to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's segue because that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you when I uh, think about last year's events that you put on and I put on my judgy hat and I say, Hey, what, what did Jesse do right? And what did Jesse do wrong? And what could Jesse do better? I say, where are the people, you know? So what are you guys doing internally to get people to come watch these events and create an atmosphere via the fans that brings this, that brings the whole, the whole um, series to a whole new level? Yeah, there's a couple of things. And honestly, that's our biggest thing is I'm not worried about the meat as much as I was in the past. I'm not worried about getting the good people there. Um, I'm worried about getting the good people there early enough to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the more we can build up the matchup, the better, you know, what we are as far as getting like the fans to go, okay, that's really exciting. So both broadcast and in person, if we can build up a matchup, like the most packed we ever had it, and it's granted, it's a boutique small stadium, but when we when we did the track meet in May last year and, and Ingebrigtsen showed up, we had that place packed out. It was it was packed, and but it's a small boutique stadium, so mm-hmm. it holds fifteen hundred people. Yeah, that's not if we were in Mount Sac, it would look like it was empty. Yeah, yeah, we it's it's, it's finding the right size, right? Yeah, and so that's part of the reason we haven't been at Mount Sac is I was like I I want an intimate. I'd I'm in agreement. Be, yeah. Whether it be a small place that feels crazy. Totally. It's like, but how do we get there and what does that look like? And I think, you know, we have to announce the fields early. The earlier we announce the fields, the more we can build up matchups. You look at what they do in MMA or boxing or some of these other things, even when it's like two YouTubers fighting each other, the, the thing they do better than anything is they talk about the matchup for like three months. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much content hyping it up that even somebody who like doesn't really care like myself I'm like, now I kind of care. Yeah. Now I kind of want to see who wins from these guys because they're talking a lot of junk, you know? So there's the matchup part. And then my biggest fear has always been that we do a meet that people would go to if they knew about it. And so we got to make sure that everybody within driving distance at least knows it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's making sure we have good relationships with every high school coach in the area. You know, and we've sent out emails and we've talked to people, but like, that's not, it's not moving the needle. How else can we do that? Connecting with the local business uh, commerce chapter and making sure that we're connect. you know, we're, we're doing everything citywide to connect. But then the reality is, is I think we got to take these fringe fans somehow because running doesn't have a participation problem. It has a fan problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, millions of people every year run a marathon, but how many of those people go to a track meet? Mm-hmm. They're not a parent. And how do, how do we connect that? And so we have some ideas around how we connect that, um, connecting it to potentially some of those bigger races and bringing that like race participant and that person into like making them understand, oh, this exists and this is like part of that. So partnering with some bigger events that already have this mass participation or going as far as like we talked about like youtubers well there's youtubers that are runners several youtubers that are runners and they have millions of followers and their followers are into running Mm -hmm. why are they watching the sport how do we connect those two people and so i think the biggest piece is connecting the runner participant to the sport rather than trying to just bring a completely new fan to track and field that's never heard of it. I'm like, well, there's already people who run mm-hmm. and they understand the sport, but for some reason they're not coming to the actual race, mm-hmm. the actual, they're not following it. And how do we connect those? And I think 
you know, we've talked about, okay, the, the 10 that we do, the 10K only meet in March. Well, that's pretty perfect timing for that's a month to five weeks before Boston Marathon. How can we connect the Boston Marathon to the 10? You know, mm -hmm. could we have everyone running Boston do like a virtual 10K leading, you know, leading up? And could we connect them to the broadcast one way or another? And could we, you know, could that be a piece of it, you know, where like, hey, tune into this? Or if you're in the area and you're training for the Boston Marathon, we're going to do community 10K um, for all the Boston signups right before 10. Mm -hmm. that just like and not that that's the idea but we just have to connect those things and to your point the number one thing on our minds going into these races whereas it used to be like pulling off the meat figuring out how to do the production now it's shifted that's what i mean by 2022 felt like our first year yeah uh the number one thing we came with came away with in 2022 was um if we want to get fans to show up, we can't just think that uh, it's going to happen organically. Yeah. We have to like knock on doors and we have to build other partnerships that we didn't know were the real thing we needed to do. And we need to go outside of the specific sport and talk to other people that are talking to runners. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly which one of those will work, but I know that we're going to try every single one until we find the one that, that pulls the lever um because i it, it will help with sponsorship it'll make every athlete more excited to run there it'll make our sport but it, and i think once people come i had a friend who lives down the street he's a south african guy who is mostly into cycling and swimming does a little bit of running and he came to one of my meets he's just a a, a friend who wanted to just support it he was like that was so fun he yeah he goes, you guys also, it's like race, race, yeah. race, race. Yeah. He's like, there's no break. He goes, it was amazing. And it's at night and it's under the lights. It has an inherent atmosphere um, that's sort of built in. So there's this wonderful opportunity to bring it to the next level. I was at a virtual sports marketing conference yesterday and Mark Cuban was the uh, keynote speaker in the morning. And I, I wrote down this quote uh, specifically for this podcast. He said, we don't, he's talking about the Mavericks. He said, we don't sell basketball. We sell experiences. And so when you think of it from the fans perspective, you're trying to, and you talked about it earlier, you, you've got to look at it as, Hey, we're up against parties, house parties. We're up against beach parties. We're up against movies. We're up against the LAFC game. We're up against um, the Lakers game, whatever it might be at that time of year, right? That's that's our competition. So we can create the best lineup of distance races ever, but what's the overall experience like? Because ultimately at any sporting event, you're selling the experience. And so one of my questions is, have you thought about, because you talk about all these ideas, have you thought about partnering with a sports and entertainment agency in California um, that does this exact thing that has made pickleball popular, spike ball popular, cornhole popular, wiffle? There, there's, there's professional leagues in all of those sports. Ultimate Frisbee has a professional league. And yet we really actually don't. Um, and let's just admit we're a niche sport, just like pickleball, spike ball, spike ball, cornhole, cornhole, et cetera, participatory in nature. Although we have way more participation than those sports. Why are we trying to do it all ourselves? Have you thought about partnering and partnering with someone who can execute some of these great ideas that you have? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I would say to your point of like these smaller niche sports, like we're a sleeping giant because of the participation we've had. You know, there's, there's none of those other sports have that level of high school and then post high school participation. hundred percent agree. Um, but we're not transferring it to the sport into the stadium. And I do believe that like, that's part of that growing of like, okay, we held these meets and we have like proof of concept. We get the best runners in the world. We're doing it and we have a show mm -hmm. if we produce it the right way and we package it the right way. And so, yeah, that's the next step is we've reached out 
we're in a good place. We're in LA, right? So we reached out specifically, you know, you sent me that link today and I was like, oh, what is this? And then I went to the website and I was like, I've emailed them. Yeah, I, I just I have a I have a meeting coming up with them uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just I just feel so strongly and this is something I've felt for a long time, but have been acting on more recently that um, we're too incestuous. It's kind of a gross term. But in, in this um, in this running world, uh, we go to a running conference like TRE, to be honest, and it's all runners. Well, we're, If we're only learning from one another, then what are we really learning? But I go to this conference yesterday and I'm hearing people from the NFL, from the MLS, uh, from the NBA, from NASCAR speak. And my mind is spinning and I'm getting all of these great ideas. And then I'm, I'm saying, well, what is the common theme here? Well, they just have way more brains working on this thing than we do. We're, you're yeah. trying to do this yourself. You know, I, yeah. I put on the marathon project with Josh Cox and Matt Hobig, my, my friends, and that's great. And it went well and your meets are going great but we're not bringing them to where they could be. And right. I just think the next step for us is to get out of this running bubble and to start working with people who think of these things, not as meets, not as who, who's going to make the fast heat, but they think of it completely as an entertainment property. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and I would say that the missing piece here is the money. So I, I always joke with Josh, you know, who helped with you put on the marathon project. And I say like, I, part of the problem in running is I was like, I want my job to be not only a full-time job, but I want there to be 20 people that work with me because that's really good for the industry if that happens. And that's so it's right. like, I'm trying to make this a profitable business to the point to where I can hire more people and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Hoka and his elite, you guys are trying to build something bigger than just a team, you know? And I think like the more jobs there are in our industry, the more people that can do this, not as a side project mm -hmm. is really good for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you think of the other organizations you were talking about, like you said, there's more brains, there's more people, there's more bodies are throwing at things, there's more money. And so, yeah, one of the key things is like, is the, is the money piece. And I think these other groups have found out how to monetize and how to package much smaller sports yeah. right? without the back-end participation base. And, and I, I think it's there. And I think we've been pushing a shift that I made this year that I probably should have made a long time ago, but was it's not on USATF to, to package our sport and to, and to do this. Their job is to develop youth, to pick our national team and to be like the governing organization. They're, they're not the commercial aspect of our sport. They're, they're USA soccer, not MLS. Right. Right. We try to ask them to be both and that's not fair. Yeah. And I, and I shifted this year in my thinking of that because I forgot who I was talking to and they're like, they're, they basically just summed it up like that. And it's probably me. I was like, you're right. I was like, I don't know why I've been like yeah. giving these guys such a hard, and they're the, they're the easiest target, obviously. Yeah. And I think because maybe they've been uh, pushed to do both or to do whatever they've got, maybe they've even taken their eye off the ball of like the real basic things mm -hmm. um, that, they, that they need to do really well. And, and that's, so I look at, Hey, I'm not expecting them to do it. I'm expecting us to do it. And if we're going to do it, we need a lot of help and we need with that help. We need, you know, uh, the group that I was looking at this morning, like got to sell advertising, you know, because sadly when it all comes down to it, it takes a lot of money. If we're going to package a sport the right way. And we should have people selling that advertising who are professionals at selling advertising. Right. You know, I, I think that we're at this stage. I mean, look, we're, we're 50 years behind, uh, but 70, 70 years behind 60. I don't know exactly. We're, we're at the stage that tennis and golf was, um, was at in the sixties where they decided we're, we're going to stop being, we're going to stop doing this ourselves. And we're going to sell this to Mark McCormick and his agency and let him do everything. And we'll focus on the tennis. And that's what I, that's where I think we're at right now. Again, 60 years behind golf and tennis, 
But mm -hmm. we've got to say to CAA or um, Wasserman Agency or whatever big agency it might be, hey, we've got something here. We've laid the foundation. We have this on a tee for you. You take it. You sell it. You brand it. You do what you do best. And we'll get the heats together. <laughs> and, yeah. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll do the logistical piece that, yeah. that is You don't want to do that. You don't know how to do that. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's the same, you know, like Legends uh, Growth growth Enterprises. They're the ones that run the Big Pickleball League now and the Spikeball League and Cornhole. And they're not the ones doing the logistics of the actual game. They're selling the entertainment entity, the product. And um, I just think we're so close. And I, I, I think it's apropos to be interviewing you because I think you've created the closest thing now that we've got going to, to exactly that you, you, you're very close to having a sellable product and you're very close to having what, what essentially you would call a series or a league where you, you, again, it's not 2023, this is going to happen, but you could see the foundation for what could be a situation where these independent contractors actually sign contracts and say, Hey, in order to be a part of this series, that Jesse's putting on that includes, you know, 12 events over the course of the year, you've got to participate in at least four of them because right. then you can start to tell the stories over time. And guess what? You also have to participate in the final event, whatever that might be. This is, you know, perhaps years down the road, but you have, you know, you can score points at the cross champs. You can score points at the track meet. You can score points at the sunset tour. And then at the end of the year, there's some sort of uh, some sort of finale that's uh, packaged and produced and, and is on television and is et cetera, et cetera. Because again, all USATF and world athletics should really be is the world championships and the Olympic games. And that's really it. And, and everything else should be about private entities that are putting on uh, profitable events that are marketable to the public. No, I, it's funny. I was explaining this to somebody the other day and they were like, what, what is sound running? And I was trying to explain it to them. And when I got to the season or to the uh, events part of it, I was saying in the NBA, there's the playoffs and the NFL, there's the Super Bowl and the playoffs, you know, I was like, but then there's also the season. I was like, we're the season. Yeah. And I said, the season is where you build up your fandom. You, 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 you learn the players, you learn the people. And so then when they make it to the playoffs, U.S. champs or whatever it is, and then they go to Worlds or whatever, Olympics, you, you've been invested for, for months. You didn't learn their name when they made the Olympic team. That's right. You, you watched, um, you know, the four best 1,500 girls and the five best, you know, whatever. You watched um, – Emma Coburn steeple six times that year, not once, you know, and it's because there was a league where you, you tuned in every time you watched her and Courtney first go to go head to head a couple of times. And so, you know, when they go to us champs, you're like, Oh, I know these two They're, you know, those are the two favorites, you know, and it's not the first time you've ever seen it. And I think that's a big thing is if I was trying to follow the sport, I was brand new and somebody was like, Hey, follow track and field. is like your job this year be hard yeah it's a little easier now picture picture five years ago where you're like well everybody opens up at like mount sac or peyton jordan which are college meets and then uh they run maybe this other other college meet here and then um then they might they get into this prefontaine diamond league thing they run that and then there's this portland meet that that was you know probably the best and, and none of these things are connected and they're not connected and then you go to u.s champs and then everybody seems to disappear for a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the three people that made the team, they're going to go run at Worlds or Olympics. And then the other 95% of our athletes, I guess they're just gone. But no, they're not. They're running a full season of events. And that's so hard to understand. Yeah. And that, you know, to bring it full circle, I think that's actually why cross champs might be a really fun event to get fans involved because you can follow a team like a, an actual team from your city, you know, um, NAZ is really connected in Flagstaff. And I know you guys do a better job than most of like, you know, connecting those dots to the community. And, and I think that community follows you where you go, but on any given weekend, even your team is going like this, right? Mm -hmm. In New York here, somebody's yeah. going here, somebody's going here. One person runs twin cities. One, What if all of them are in the same place? You know, and so it really could be a moment where 
beasts have Seattle and Portland ha- you know, Portland has uh, union or whatever. And Eugene has Bowerman and, and AZ has flat, you know, like, you know, Boston has a new balance Boston. Like that could be fun. And it could be one of the few times in our sport as professionals where like you can kind of get a city behind you. Mm-hmm. And that sounds exciting. Even if it was like you follow the team all year long through the season, but it ends as a team event. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I, it's good to hear that uh, smart people that have been in the industry for a long time uh, say something where you go, okay, good. This is like, this is the, uh, the what I've been preaching uh, when I talk to people about what's next and it at least feels like we're on the right path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're doing a great job, man. I think this was, this was crazy. This was an hour and I feel like I'm, I feel like we're about to start a whole new conversation. So we should save that for part two, uh, which we need to do sometime maybe after cross champs and we can do a little um, post-mortem of that event and then look, look forward to 2023. How does that sound? That'd be awesome, man. Anytime. Okay. I loved it. This was great. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite. I'm Addison Rosario, Coach Ben's daughter. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on NAZElite.com and stay tuned for the next episode of the Midday Treat with NAZ Elite.